And we are continuing our series, Why Family? Uh, the family experience continues to change. The nuclear family of 20th century America is no longer the assumed standard of family. And this series isn't going to either celebrate or grieve that. That really is just an is. Um, rather, what we want to do in this series is ask, what is the purpose of family, of marriage, of parenting, uh, regardless of what our particular family may look like? And in this series, Why Family, there are two questions we want to keep in front of us. One is, what does the Bible have to say about my family? And what are some biblical family implications for the church? Because the Bible often uh, uses family language to describe the church. We are brothers and sisters. God is our father. And so as we think about what the Bible uh, says about our families, we want to apply some of those things to TFRC also. Uh, this morning, we're going to take a look at marriage. What does the Bible have to say about our marriages? And then what does uh, that mean for us beyond our marriages in particular? Um, you know, or for those of us who are not married. Uh, the scripture this morning comes from Genesis chapter 2. And so if you have your Bibles or would like to look that up on your phone, uh, I encourage you to go do that. Um, if you do have your Bibles here in the room, Genesis chapter 2 is right at the beginning of the Bible. Uh, first book, second chapter. And this is the story of the creation of woman. Uh, many of us have read this part of the Bible and we are familiar with it, which sometimes being familiar with certain parts of the Bible can actually work against us. Um, in this particular case, it can work against us because there are parts of what we are going to read which are, they're kind of odd. Um, and because we're familiar with it, we sometimes miss the strangeness of passages like these. And so as we read it, I want you to look for parts of it that seem a little weird, okay? Our scripture reader uh, this morning is Dave Harvey. So Dave, if you can make your way on up to the podium. As he does so, I'm going to ask if you're able, please stand and face the center of the room. Uh, we read from the center of the room to remind us that scripture is to be central in our lives. And we stand because we believe that this is the word of God. And so Dave, whenever you are ready, please read from Genesis chapter two, verses 18 to 24. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all of the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of the man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Dave, thank you very much. You may be seated. I uh, titled this particular message, You Just Don't Make Sense. 
which, you know, for marriage, you just don't make sense. Sometimes that works. Um, when Shannon and I were first dating, uh, we had Disneyland passes, year, Disneyland yearly passes. That was back in the day, they were like a hundred bucks. Um, and we were on our way to Disneyland and we stopped at Carl's Jr. for lunch. And we got our food and sat down. And uh, Shannon grabbed this huge stack of napkins. Um, and it triggered something in me because it's just like, that is so wasteful. You know, I, um, I didn't understand why we needed so many napkins. I was raised to take only what you need. And so it was so odd uh, to take that many napkins for just the two of us. It just didn't make sense. And I angrily got on my self-righteous high horse. How can you be so wasteful? Come on, that's ridiculous. What are you doing? I wasn't nice about it at all. Um, and she looked at me, understandably hurt by being judged so harshly over something as simple as napkins. Um, and she explained to me that her family will take extra napkins for the car and they will leave them in the glove compartment just in case they, never need, they ever need napkins in the car. I remember thinking, that's a pretty good idea. <laughs> that's a pretty good idea. You see, I didn't understand what she was doing. I thought she was being wasteful when she was being resourceful. You just don't make sense. It's a statement of not understanding. And we have all heard that marriage is all about communication. I once heard a counselor push back on that. And he said, no, marriage isn't all about communication. Marriage is all about understanding. And you think about your particular marriage if you're married, and that is definitely true for marriage. And it probably applies to all relationships, but certainly marriage is all about understanding yourself, it's about understanding your spouse, and it's also about having your spouse understand you. And understanding is something that is done with the heart. Understanding is not just a head game. It is a heart game. As it says in Matthew 13, for this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Understand with their hearts. Understanding requires humility, and humility is a heart issue. And in marriage, it is easier to give up than to try to understand. It is, it's just easier. And it takes humility to make the effort to understand one another, and it takes humility to be patient as your spouse tries to understand you. And the Bible tells us a few things that we need to understand about marriage and relationships. Again, they can apply to relationships in general. And the first thing that the Bible wants us to understand about marriage is 
aloneness, understanding aloneness. If you go back to Genesis 2 and look at verse 18, where it says, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, that word helper gets a lot of attention when people study this passage. And the question is often asked, what does it mean for the woman to be the helper? But I would like to invite you to ask a different question. What does Adam need help with? Why does he need a helper? Does the man need help taking care of the garden? Does the man need help watching over the animals? No, it says in verse 18 that the man needs help with his aloneness. Adam can handle the garden. Adam can handle the animals. Adam cannot handle being alone. And neither can we. It is not good. As it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Being alone isn't good. And yet, we often find ourselves alone in some capacity. And why do we find ourselves alone so often in some capacity? Well, there are many reasons, but one I want to focus on is loneliness can come from being disappointed. Someone disappoints us, or maybe we disappoint someone else, and so we withdraw from those people, and we decide at least for a time it's better just to be alone. The prophet Elijah had an experience like this. You can read about him in 1 Kings. Uh, prophet Elijah really wants to rally the people to worship the Lord. And so he initiates this contest between him and the prophets of the false god Baal. And Elijah wins the contest. And the people worship the Lord. But when it comes to those in power, when it comes to those ruling the country, nothing changes. And Elijah is deeply disappointed and disillusioned. And he runs away so that he can die alone. And God meets him on a mountain. And Elijah tells God, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. When people disappoint us, we often respond by withdrawing. And if we are hurt and disappointed enough, well, then we start to lose hope. And when we lose hope, it begins to harden our hearts. And when that happens in a marriage, well, it can lead to divorce. Jesus was once asked, if divorce is so bad, why did Moses allow for it? And Jesus responds by saying, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. 
See, loneliness leads to a hard heart. But it was not that way from the beginning. Our hearts were not always that way. And from the beginning, we were not meant to be alone. However, again, we get hurt, we withdraw, we find ourselves alone, and it isn't good. And like Adam, we need help with our aloneness. So the Bible has something to say about understanding aloneness. It also has something to say about understanding companionship. And earlier I stated that there were a couple weird things in the passage we were going to read. And one of the weird things in the passage is verses 19 and 20. Go ahead and take a look there if you still have your Bible open there, where it says, Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. And he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. And so the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So man is, man is alone. God says this isn't good. And so he needs a helper with his aloneness. Adam needs a partner. And so God's first thought is to find a partner for him in the animals? So every animal is brought before Adam? Now just think about this, this is really strange. It's like an episode of The Bachelor, bizarro style. Seriously, hey Adam, what do you think of the flamingo? All right, or, or the hippopotamus? You know, or uh, how about the zebra, you like stripes? All right, um, who's gonna get the rose, the cheetah? The elephant, the bear, the lion. It's wacky. This is a farce. It's obvious that none of the animals are going to be suitable partners. And this isn't a surprise. God knows that none of the animals are going to work. And so why bring all the animals to Adam? Why go through this farce of a process? God knew the animals couldn't help with Adam's aloneness. However, Adam didn't know that. See, animals can be great companions. Many of us have pets, dogs, cats. I know some people even bond with their horses. And while they can be great companions, um, they are not partners. And it's one thing to have companions, whether they're animal companions or human companions. But it's another thing to have a partner, someone who understands you. Animals can do a lot of things. They can't understand us. Not in a way a spouse can or even like a family member or friend can. Proverbs 18 says, One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. We all have companions in our lives, and companions are good. But companionship, it has its limits. Companions are people that we do things with. But they really don't need to know us or understand us. We just do stuff with them. And we all need to be known, and we all need to be understood. And companions, they, they have their limits. 
So there's this understanding of being alone, an understanding of companionship, and then there's understanding your spouse, which leads us to another strange part of the story. If you um, look at verses 21 to 24, where it says, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And that is why a man leaves his father and mother, and he's united to his wife, and they become one flesh. In order to make a suitable helper for his aloneness, God takes a part of the man and makes a woman. And the man sees this and says, this woman came from me. And then that commentary made in verse 24 about how because the woman was taken out from the man, the man is united to his wife and the two become one. Now, why? This is the odd part. Um, when God created Adam, how did he do that? Well, he took some dust, some dirt out of the ground and formed the man and breathed life in. And then when it came to making all the animals, how did God do that? Well, he took dust out of the ground, dirt out of the ground, and created all the wild animals. Well, why didn't he just do that with the woman? Why create the woman from part of the man. Surely God just could have formed some more dirt in the ground, formed a woman, breathed life into her, and voila. Why bother with the process that God bothered with? Now, um, women in the room, don't go make in front of the guys, you're made of dirt and I'm not. Okay, let's be nice, okay? Um, the woman was the only one, not from the ground. Why? You see, they came from the same flesh so that they would literally belong together. The woman comes from the same flesh as the man so that they would literally belong together. And the idea of marriage, of two becoming one, is assumed in the Bible. Matthew 19, Jesus says in talking about marriage, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And then there is this interesting analogy that the Apostle Paul makes in Ephesians. Ephesians 5, where he says, In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Paul compares your spouse to your body. That just as you care for your own body, you should care for your spouse. It's as if Paul is saying, just as your body is a part of you, your spouse is a part of you. And in marriage, we need to understand that our spouses are a part 
of us. You can even see this in the language we use. We will often call our spouses our partners. While the word partner, literally, the first four letters spell part, as if my partner is a part of me and I am a part of them. Have you ever noticed that people who've been married for a really long time start to look like each other? You've noticed, right? You laugh because you know this is true. Now, for me, it's not so much that they look like each other as much as it looks like they belong together. And the reason I think it looks like they belong together is because the Bible says they belong together. <laughs> um, or when a spouse dies, the surviving spouse feels like a part of them has died. And why does it feel like when your spouse dies, a part of you has died? It's because a part of you has died. Your spouse is a part of you. And vice versa. Now, just because your spouse is a part of you doesn't mean you understand your spouse, which is what can make marriage so frustrating. I don't understand this person who is a part of me. And I'm not a marriage counselor, but if someone comes to me for marriage counseling, um, I'll talk with them for a little bit and then I'll try to connect them with a professional. However, I will ask anyone struggling with their marriage two questions. Two questions if you're struggling with your marriage, or even if you're not, if you ever bump into something, it's like, what just happened? Here are the two questions. Do you understand your spouse? And does your spouse understand you? Because if not, that is what you need to address because you're not gonna fix anything if you don't understand each other. And I... I would guess, I haven't actually talked to a counselor about this, but I would guess if you go to a counselor for marriage counseling, rather than starting with all the details of um, why you fight and all the nitpicky stuff that you, drives you crazy, if you were to go to the counselor and say, you know something, we don't understand each other. Can you help us? I bet you the counselor would be all over that. Now, going back to the body metaphor, in order to, you have to understand what your body is capable of, yes? You have to know what your body can do and can't do. Because we all get to the point, oh, I can't, my body won't let me do that anymore, okay, all right? And then when you learn what your body can and can't do, you adjust your behavior accordingly. Well, you have to understand your spouse. My spouse can do this, my spouse can't do that. And then adjust your behavior accordingly. But you can't do that if you don't understand your spouse. Now, one thing I understand about Shannon, she's afraid of spiders. I get that much. My wife is afraid of spiders, okay? Now, logically, I can make an argument. Being afraid of spiders doesn't make much sense. A spider, at best, is this big, okay? The average foot is this big, okay? It's not much of a fight. And I'll say, Shannon, I don't think, I'm not saying you have big feet. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying the spider doesn't stand much of a chance against you. Now, if being afraid of spiders was either A, morally wrong or a character flaw, well, then I might suggest to Shannon that that's something she needs to work on. But being afraid of spiders is neither of those things. So when Shannon is in the basement 
and yells upstairs, Chuck, there's a spider down here. I act like a knight in shining armor and I go kill the spider. That's what I do, okay? Why? Because my wife's afraid of spiders. I don't need another reason. My wife, who's a part of me, is afraid of spiders. So when she sees a spider, I go kill it. And of course, that sense of understanding needs to work both ways. Again, understanding, it's done with the heart. And loneliness can lead to a hard heart. Companionship, while it's good, has its limits. And your spouse, your spouse is a part of you. And two final thoughts. First, all of this applies to the church. We all need humility to understand all the different personalities represented in this room and all the different personalities we're going to encounter here at TFRC. Um, we need to understand that writing off the community of faith is not good. Yeah, things are going to happen where uh, we get disappointed in one another and that we get hurt by one another. But writing off the community of faith is not good and will eventually harm our faith in Jesus. And we need to understand that surface level relationships at the church, again, while they're better than nothing, they have their limits, and we need to connect with someone on a deeper level for the benefit of our faith. Hey, for better or worse, we are a part of one another here at TFRC. So that's first. Second is that you don't have to be married to apply this. There are many of you in here who are not married. Um, friendships and family relationships can develop so that we feel like those people are a part of us. And many, many of us have relationships that if we lost them, it would feel like a part of us has died. You know, in a world where it is easier to isolate, easier to do life with less and less social interactions, the Bible reminds us of the values of others, our spouses, our family, our friends. And we need, we need people to become a part of us. And we need to become a part of other people. We need to be understood. We need to understand. It's simply not good to be alone. And the good news is, God will always bring others to help us with our aloneness. Please pray with me. And Lord, we do thank you for the people you've brought in our lives. Lord, we thank you for um, our spouses. We thank you for our families. We thank you for our friends. And Lord, first of all, I would lift up any um, marriage in this room that may find itself more isolated, more struggling, um, more tension. And Lord, I would ask that you would lead them to a path of understanding that um, they would um, have the humility and the perseverance um, to get whatever help they may need to get so that they can understand one another. But Lord, we thank you how you continually bring people into our lives. And I would ask that you would help all of us take the risks that we need to take in order to become a part of one another.
And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen.